You're listening to the Revenge of the Birds podcast, part of the SB Nation podcast network, hosted by Blake Murphy 7 and Johnny Touchdown. All about your Arizona Cardinals. Welcome in. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. We're coming to you live today. It's going to be a Friday by the time that you listen to this. Uh, We'll have, uh, as you can hear, a different slash new uh, kind of intro that we have for our intro music a little bit different from the norm but we figured with having a brand new season starting might as well kind of make up and do a bit of a change there uh, my name is blake murphy on twitter at blake murphy seven you can find me there uh, as well as on revenge of the because this is the revenge of the birds podcast i'm joined as always by my co-host the venerable john venerable he's on twitter as johnny touchdown john how are you holding up we've got nfl football getting close closer by the day it seems yeah it's exciting Blake it's great to visit with all of you we're back on a weekly basis here on the ROTV podcast if not more uh with hopefully content on the rise as far as NFL goes but I'm doing well Blake we're getting saddled in for training camp that is you know teams and and uh facilities are already open but full-blown training camp hasn't started yet but we've already started to see Some news start to percolate here in the last week or so specific to regulations and what kind of structure we'll see. But I do think it will be different than in, of course, it'll be different than in years prior where, you know, this time last year we were thick into training camp battles and what will Kyler look like and, you know, very, you know, football heavy content. It doesn't quite feel like we're there yet. Everything, unfortunately, that comes out of you know, the the insiders, the Adam Schefters, the team insiders is, is more in the realm of how is everything going to be affected based on, on COVID-19. And as we're recording this, we're on the cups of the 4 p.m. opt-out deadline, Blake, and I think that's probably a good way to start. Marcus Gilbert, the right tackle, who has assumed the starting right tackle by many, uh, he's chosen to opt out of the season. And uh, we had talked previously on the podcast about this, John. In fact, it was, uh, almost say it was kind of predicted because of a multitude of reasons. He was coming off of a major uh, injury with the ACL tear in 2019. Um, he was uh, a large, large specimen at right tackle, probably 330 or so pounds at least. Uh, that ends up opting in a lot of players into a higher risk type of category, as well as the fact that he's a, a black player, which is, as we've seen as far as with um, COVID, not necessarily the fact that there's like specifically race issues. It's been much more of, as we've talked about, um, whether it's cultural living, other aspects, um, which will affect probably family members. Part of that, at least, is just the... Uh, the state and reality that we're seeing right now of this disease and how uh, essentially it doesn't spare anyone rich or poor, but for people who are a lot more um, either in a living situation or other communities, it definitely is something to be aware of because of uh, not just protecting yourself, but other friends or family members who would be at higher risk. And the last fact, John, that was one that we thought was interesting too, is the fact that uh, contracts will usually toll to next year. Gilbert was not a guaranteed lock to make the roster. Uh, he's expected as a starting right tackle, but if he was beaten out by Kelvin Beecham and considering the draft pick of Josh Jones with uh, Justin Murray starting, I believe, all 16 games last season, 
Um, he was only really guaranteed about $150,000 by opting out and taking the higher risk amount that he qualified for as a player. Uh, it's essentially a $350,000 is how that's worked out. Uh, I believe with how they said in the NFL, it's really opted out and taken against your contract for next year. Kind of think of it almost as a... Uh, you take out a loan from your contract, contract tolls to next year. In that case, it seems like essentially he would have gotten a pay raise, you'd think, for the season if he's able to kind of take some more time off heel, keep himself safe. Uh, we had, There were some suspicions that Max Williams, um, the tight end, he and Marcus Gilbert were both placed on the non-football injury list uh, as far as not showing up to practice. Uh, I, I had speculated, at least with another one of the Cardinals writers, Jess Root, that that may have been almost a not needing to show up to practice. You don't have to, you know, take on any fines or anything, kind of make your COVID decision. Um, and then maybe that was kind of an aspect that applied to Williams as well as uh, Marcus Gilbert. Uh, instead, it does not end up being the case. Uh, Williams ends up qualifying, comes off of the list, and the rest of the Cardinal staff see no other opt-outs. And John, I think that's the most encouraging thing you can see as a Cardinals fan is that you didn't have any type of star players or uh, I guess you could even say uh, – Important players, uh, such as maybe uh, Chandler Jones, yeah, even a Kyler Murray, a Larry Fitzgerald, a DeAndre Hopkins. Um, not even a role player, such as a backup like a Hassan Reddick or a player who would be a special teams guy opted out. And in that sense, you'd say it's probably very good news for the Cardinals in that the only position that opted out was the one that they already had quite a bit of depth in. Yeah, and you remember when the Cardinals added Marcus Gilbert back to the team in the spring it was kind of an afterthought, I think, based on, you know, the maturation of Justin Murray, how he played down the stretch, and then all of the talk surrounding the first round, the group of tackles that were going to be available. Um, it's interesting to see now that, really, they weren't going to go the route of offensive tackle. They liked Andrew Thomas, presumably, as their offensive tackle, number one. He, of course, went much higher than a lot of folks thought, but within the inner circles of the league, he was basically the number one tackle on most everyone's board. And I think Kime had very much keyed in on a defensive player, whether it be Isaiah Simmons, of course, Derek Brown, maybe one of the top two corners if they were available. Um, tackle was kind of an afterthought. They got DJ Humphreys locked up at left tackle. They had Justin Murray, and then they brought in Marcus Gilbert. They said to compete, but we would have thought, Blake, he would have been the first opportunity. He would have had the first opportunity to start and kind of see what happened in an ideal offseason. Um, and then they added someone by the name of Josh Jones in, in the third round of the NFL draft who had, uh, by all accounts, a top 40 grade by most teams, University of Houston product that's going to be brought along slowly but certainly has the ability to play either tackle position long term. So the Cardinals thought, okay, we're in pretty good shape. And then uh, a couple weeks back, Blake, maybe roughly a month ago, they brought in a veteran left tackle by the name of Kelvin Beecham that we've covered extensively on this pod. You and I speculated at the time, what did that mean? Because he is a very capable tackle, really has the most, probably done the most of, of anybody, including Marcus Gilbert in the entire um, offensive line room for the Cardinals, specifically specific to their tackles. And he just came in and was opting to be a backup. That didn't really make sense to us. He played a lot of left tackle, so it's like, where does Humphreys fit in? Is something going on with DJ Humphreys? I didn't really ever assume it could be something on the right side. I thought because Beecham hasn't played right tackle since his work, rookie year in 2012, which coincidentally he was replacing an injured Marcus Gilbert 
on the Steelers, which is super ironic. I I just assumed maybe Humphreys was either opting out or he had been hurt. But no, everybody told me, oh, it's for depth. It's for depth purposes. Well, if that's the case, the depth lasted about three weeks um, because it looks like Kelvin Beecham is going to have every opportunity to succeed as the starting right tackle for the Cardinals this fall. And as we're recording this, our buddy Jess Root just put out that Beecham's salary for 2020 is a little over a million. So might be exactly, according to Jess, exactly what Marcus Gilbert was supposed to make. So he, of course, slides in there. I mean, he'll compete with Justin Murray. Um, but, you know, I would give it the edge to the veteran there. And then you, you've got Josh Jones now that you can certainly take your time with, which is an ideal situation. So... I think you and I were going to be interested to see Marcus Gilbert's development in the preseason uh, in camp should he, had he been able to come back from that injury as quickly as he might have hoped. But you mentioned it, you know, high risk, potentially compromised immune system with everything going on. Of course, you played safe. According to his Twitter, he's got every intention of playing uh, next year. We wish him well. I don't expect the Cardinals, you know, you never say never. I don't expect the Cardinals to bring him back. Ideally, in a perfect world, you know, they would love to have uh, Josh Jones take over at right tackle long term. You've got some insurance now on the left side with Jones being able to play left tackle if DJ Humphreys were to get injured. Beecham has been a long time left tackle. So, and then Justin Murray is kind of the forgotten man. So there, there are four tackles deep now. These are their four top tackles: Murray, Beecham, Humphreys, and Jones. Now, I, I would expect Jones is probably Blake inactive a lot on game day and then you've got Justin Pugh as your emergency rider left tackle Mason Cole could play there in a pinch as well so uh, they don't have a lot of high-end offensive line talent they don't have top 20 talent offensive line in the league but what they do have are gritty veterans that have you know seen a good amount of football in Beecham's case played exceptionally well uh, I think it was in 2017, 2018 for Todd Bowles, had a pro football focus grade of 72 at left tackle, certainly capable. So if you're asking me if I think this this hurts the Cardinals, I don't think it hurts them. I actually think Beecham's a better player than Gilbert was tomorrow, assuming, and this is a big ask, that he can play right tackle seamlessly to begin the year. He's certainly an upgrade over Justin Murray. And Josh Jones is the wild card that I hope they bring along slowly now because they're able to, uh, considering he had no time to develop in the offseason. And then I think you mentioned it, Blake. This would have been a much bigger hit had something gone wrong with Max Williams, who is by all accounts fine and going to be ready to go when the when the pads come on. Had he opted out, the Cardinals would have been in a tricky situation. We all know Dan Arnold is scheduled to be, you know, a potential breakout player for this team as their pass catching tight end. But Max Williams was a borderline Pro Bowl. T- uh, tight end last year from a blocking standpoint. I think he was a top five PFF overall tight end last year, at least for the majority of the season. He was he's in a he's a phenomenal run blocking tight end with a nastiness to the to to his game that the Cardinals were severely lacking. With a couple of let's face it, they have finesse tackles in in Humphreys and Murray, and they rely on somebody like Williams setting the edge. I just think about all the all the pancakes he had specifically, like in the San Francisco games, clearing the way for Kenyon Drake. So. The fact that he is back after signing a two-year extension that isn't compromised, knock on wood, it's a good feeling. Um, and the Cardinals are in really good shape now. Assuming there's no surprises here, Blake, in the next hour or so, um, they're as healthy and as deep as I can remember. Um, are they a playoff team? I think that remains to be seen. But certainly when you look at the landscape of the NFL, teams that have been hit hard with opt-outs and trades like the Jets, the Dolphins, 
the Cardinals are in a good spot in comparison to a lot of the rest of the NFL. John, the, the team that I think of first of all as far as opt-outs would be the Patriots, who saw at least three uh, of their defensive uh, starters, who are even stars, opted out. And the Cardinals on that side, from what you look at with Marcus Gilbert, and this was the thing we even talked about last year, was um, everything that you'd want to have in a tackle as far as in the head, in practice, overall on the field, everything that you would want to have as far as a coach was what he had. Everyone said he was the best lineman the Cardinals had. The issue was always uh, very similar to Sam Bradford was when he's healthy. And as we've seen over the past since 2017, uh, Marcus Gilbert has played in 12 games now officially after opting out. So you're talking about 12 games in four seasons that he's played. He missed the entirety of the 2019 season. He's now missing the entirety of the 2020 season. I don't think that's any fault of his own, but that was the biggest aspect of uh, when you see a guy who is that size, um, who's less of a finesse tackle, more of a power tackle when you've got knee issues that pop up multiple times and it was an ACL that he had I believe, I don't know if it was the same knee but um, seeing that happen it was a case of when you're bringing him back it was a question of is he going to be recovered enough is he going to be good to go uh, the fact that they brought in Beecham who uh, it looks like is also signed for the vet minimum salary uh, to me that was more of a learning the lesson from last year as we've talked about previously on uh, an earlier podcast where they traded Corey Cunningham for a draft pick uh, maybe they were looking at a similar approach. Perhaps they were saying, hey, we if Gilbert's healthy, we can roll with him as our starter, put Beecham as our backup, see what we can get for you know trading away a pick for Justin Murray at least, knowing that we like where Josh Jones is at. Now, like you said, John, the depth shifts from trading guys away to still having depth that's able to keep Josh Jones um, developing where the Cardinals want him. A lot of his uh, footwork, essentially, and some of the dropbacks, um, that's something that I think you'd love to be able to see uh, the Cardinals' offensive line coach, Kugler, uh, be able to take on for a year, kind of take him out of that whole spread offense, break down a lot of the, uh, the basics that he was um, – working on being able to kind of rebuild into what that prototypical NFL style is, knowing he already is well in advance as far as hand placement, the strength, the technical expertise he has. That's, I think, the biggest thing that you can be encouraged by is the Cardinals in this aspect are um, not having to claim a guy off of the street suddenly, at least, to be able to start week one. And uh, again, with how coronavirus goes this year, we'll see if that ends up being some of the case still. But in, from a, an aspect on paper, you're talking about the guy who was probably the one if you had to pick one player that you said, hey, pick one player who's probably not going to make the Cardinals roster this year, who is a veteran, he would have been probably one of the guys I would have picked out. We'll talk a little bit about some of the other players as far as projections for um, some of our camp studs and camp cuts in a little bit. But uh, that to me, John, was the, I think, encouraging aspect. And I think the question now is, could the Cardinals have known about this opt-out potentially happening ahead of time and that's why they signed Beecham? Or is this maybe more of an aspect of they just kind of anticipated it, things happened to fell in their favor? Yeah, I think I, I think you'd have to be a little bit ignorant to think it wasn't somewhat in the plans. I don't know why Kelvin Beecham, a, a clearly starting caliber tackle in the NFL when there are so few. I remember I read an article in the winter, I think it was like, January, February, where it was like the Jets need to prioritize bringing back Kelvin Beecham. And then he just kind of went unclaimed, unsigned, even after the draft. I know it was a tackle happy draft, but I just, I don't think you get Kelvin Beecham in the building without telling him, hey, this is where this is going. We're going to give Marcus time to announce it, but you're, you're going to play for us and play for us this year. Now his contract isn't anything to write home about, but it's certainly, it's certainly 
uh, decent money considering what, what else is going on for a lot of other players. So I, I think that they, listen, Marcus Golden hadn't played a football game since early October of 2018. And so I, I don't know if they just assume that there was a chance this, this could happen. Uh, certainly not, I guess, because of when they signed him, when they opted to bring him back. But I think, in my opinion, this move was always predicated on something else happening. And I initially thought it had to do with the left side. Incorrect. Marcus Gold, or excuse me, Marcus Gilbert is um, choosing to opt out. And I think that they, Steve Kime has probably known that this was probably the writing on the wall for some time, or at least he was seriously considering it. And if that's the case, kudos for Steve Kime for being aggressive and getting this done, because we've seen multiple uh, starting linemen uh, decide to opt out, most notably Nate Soldier of the, the New York Giants, Marcus Cannon, New England Patriots. Kelvin Beecham would, would immediately help both of those franchises, and the Cardinals are the benefactor of that. And now they, they've got the deepest tackle room that they've had probably in the last decade or so, Blake. Yeah, the Cardinals are in also a spot if you look at some of the way that the players graded out from last year. Uh, Beecham and DJ Humphreys were two of the better tackles in terms of uh, pass rush win percentage, where uh, I should say pass block win percentage. Uh, as far as being matched up uh, against pass rushers one-on-one, no tight end help. When you rewatch a lot of the Cardinals games this year, you would notice that uh, there were times that Max Williams, he didn't really line up on the left side very much. They kind of left Humphreys uh, to his own. If there was need for him to chip in or to stay in, they would put that on the right side to help the young player Justin Murray out. Uh, there was times at least where they would release Williams or would go to a 10 personnel look and uh, Murray would sometimes get beaten. Some of Kyler's plays you can even remember at least is where uh, he would kind of escape out the what they call the back door. He would kind of run out past where Murray was at least for that one with some of the instincts. I'll be curious at least this year, John, if the Cardinals are looking to see if they can try to uh, effectively run a bit more of 10 personnel. Uh, The fact that the Cardinals uh, were not able to do as much of that later in the year, the ability to adapt as we saw was great, but we also did see the preference of Kingsbury uh, from up front. He wants to essentially be able to beat teams if they blitz with a quick passing game, and when teams only rush about four or five guys to be able to have solid offensive line blocking, knowing, hey, you're going to release four guys plus a running back into the rest of the team, that means you're going to essentially be able to get one-on-one coverage at least on one of the outside areas um, because you know when uh, the way the NFL works it's a matchups game the safety who's in the middle of the field if you're playing uh, most teams and they'll play uh, a lot of those single high safety looks they'll have to pick one side or the other to help out and as a quarterback you just choose watch who's covered all right throw to the other side the fact that the Cardinals protection was at least solid enough for Kyler uh, in year one, it was a big improvement, but it wasn't like it was a elite pass blocking unit where you'd see a lot of those deep throws set up. Um, you also saw, like we talked about a lot, the need for a huge alpha number one wide receiver who can separate, be able to beat guys, be able to get deep. Uh, they acquired that guy in DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, do you think this is kind of a look that we're going to have? Um, people did ask Cliff Kingsbury a lot this week in interviews about his 10 personnel. And it was interesting to hear him say, like, yeah, I still like the 10 personnel a lot. I'll always love it, quote. Uh, but he says that he isn't married to it. Do you think that this is going to be more of an offensive shift for the Cardinals? Or is this more of just kind of trying to read in a little bit too much? And this is just more of a move that they have for the tackles? Because I, I honestly got to say, John, it's going to be interesting to see what their offense will look like this next year. If it will be more of what we saw in late 2019. Or if it's going to be more of a completed, maybe more NFL realized version of what we saw early when Kyler 
Taylor was, you know, shredding the Lions defense deep and throwing it on the Baltimore Ravens defense early in the season. Yeah, I think it'll be a combination. And I think a lot of it will be predicated on where they're at on the field, the personnel they have in clearly. They were a finesse team in the red zone last year and had really a big issue putting the ball in the end zone. Uh, They were one of the worst, if not the worst, red zone offenses in all football. They had no problem getting from 20 to 20 in terms of the hash marks. So I would think that with the the beef up of the offensive line, I think Mason Cole will go a long way at 80 in this. I think that they'll continue to play a heavy personnel inside the red zone. Um, because now you've got that separations with Hopkins now that you can be one-on-one on the outside. They just, they had nobody on the perimeter that really could, you know, I, and I hate using this term because I don't want to disrespect Larry Fitzgerald, but he is 37 years old. They had nobody that could win one-on-one last year consistently enough. And a lot of that was on Kyler, um, you know, learning the offense, making the right decisions. Um, but as far as, you know, just opening up when they receive the opening kickoff, what are they going to look like? I think, I think that we'll see some combination of three receivers and, and one to two tight ends, but they're going to put an emphasis on the running game. They don't like using fullbacks, so Kenyon Drake is, is typically going to be the single back. Kingsbury doesn't run a lot of multi-back options. So, And I also, Blake, I think we need to see the, the maturation of a fourth receiver before we can definitively say that they're going to do more at four or, you know, God forbid, five wide receiver sets. Um, right now... Andy Isabel has proven nothing. I have not seen um, Hakeem Butler in anything related to football in the past uh, 13, 14 months. I have no idea what he looks like. Everything that I that I see on social media for him is everything but football. And I'm not criticizing him, just stating the facts. They're probably their best option for their number four receiver right now is Keyshawn Johnson. He was nice to start the year last year, but faded completely in the second half of 2019. So when you tell me we have a, a capable fourth receiver, I say, okay, then then try it out more four wide and splat Kenyon Drake or do whatever you want to do. I think right now maybe the fourth receiver is somebody like Dan Arnold. Um, so I, I think Kyler benefited from the shaky pass protection later in the season when they ran the ball. And I think that if the offensive line is still going to be underwhelming in that regard you've got Justin Pugh is a year older J.R. Sweezy's is a nice veteran but he's not you know an all-pro guard you're gonna be breaking in a new right tackle I would think uh and Mason Cole is going to take his first you know licks as a starter since his rookie year I would think that they would want to stabilize it with as much of a balance in the running game as you can and then maybe try to open it up a little bit more in the second half or, or maybe the, the you know three-fourths of the way you know f- for the remainder of the season but I, I just think that they were so effective when they ran the football last year um, and switching up their personnel and getting away from just the just, I, I, I feel like Kyler was let down too many times by his receiving core last year. And, and Kirk, he, he was included in that as well. So you've got Larry a year older. Really, only Hopkins is the is the standout now. I like Kirk, but not everybody does. And, and Hopkins is going to need to learn the offense. So I think that, OK, you're breaking in a new center. You're breaking in prob- probably a new right tackle. Hopkins doesn't know the offense. He hasn't played in it yet in an NFL game. Larry's 37, and you know we're a little bit unsure about what we can see from Christian Kirk this year, although it's promising. Then you got a bunch of rookie wide receivers you took last year. We have no idea who's going to step up. So I just I think that they go probably not conservative, but I would say that it's more likely they're going to take the approach they took second half of last year to begin this season, lean on the running game. Um, lean on Kyler, Mickey, Kyler Murray's playmaking ability. Uh, the RPOs worked really well. 
uh, specifically against teams like San Francisco and um, Seattle, two in-division teams. And, oh, by the way, that's who they play to, to open up the season, San Francisco in the Bay Area. So I, I would I would say get Kenyon Drake going, and this offense looks, re- looks completely different. When Kyler Murray didn't have a running game and it was all on him with below-average wide receivers, they, they couldn't score touchdowns. Agreed, John. We even talked about early in the season the fact that the Cardinals' third receiving option, and at times it felt like their number one receiving option, was David Johnson through the first eight games. Uh, We think of the touchdown in the Lions game. You think at least at the Bengals game, there was a couple of key uh, touches that he was able to get with some receptions down the sideline. Uh, The Pittsburgh Steelers game, when the Cardinals started to make some of that comeback, it was interesting to see with how um, Kirk really only had the one big game against a, a leaky Bucks uh, defense. He was obviously, uh, as we found out after the season, limited. Uh, it had a, kind of a bothersome, I believe it was hamstring throughout most of the season. Uh, but the, uh, like you said, the Cardinals website had a story, and they talked about, they quoted the uh, Football Outsiders article, where when you talk about what the Cardinals' most successful options were last year, it was out of 11 personnel, and that makes a lot of sense when you're talking about being able to have Max Williams on the field with that ability to block in both the run game, being able to help in pass protection, um, uh, whether it was play action, or even being able to kind of roll out and be able to kind of haul in some of the passes down the seam. Now, he's not nearly the athlete that Dan Arnold is in that aspect, and that's where we saw a bit more 12 personnel later in the season. Uh, I'll be very curious to see how that will work out. The Cardinals, by the end of the season, had pretty much gotten down pat there. Uh, run the ball with Kenyon, being able to use Kyler sporadically for some of the runs, uh, Max at tight end, and then the three wide receiver sets of Demir Bird as the speedy guy outside, Ed Fitzgerald in the slot, and Christian Kirk on the other side. Uh, when you are able to kind of slide in, it's almost easy to be able to see the fact that you're going to be able to pull in a guy like a DeAndre Hopkins now replacing that X receiver role. Um, that may end up helping out Kirk a bit, and I think that we are going to see a lot of 11 personnel. The question, of course, will be who is going to be that next running back who steps up. Will it end up being the fact that uh, will they start throwing the ball to a Kenyon Drake more or use Chase Edmonds? Uh, that will be uh, remaining to be seen. Uh, the other, at least, players who opted out as of today, it wasn't a whole lot. Um, you saw Jets wide receiver Josh Doxson coming off of an injury. That was one of the guys who opted out. Uh, he also at least talked to Chiefs offensive tackle Lucas Niang. He it was a rookie, I believe, who had health and injury issues. And then a couple of other guys, an offensive tackle here or there, a corner. Um, interestingly enough, Bucks offensive tackle Donovan Smith and Bills cornerback Tredavious White did not opt out. They were the two largest names that were left as far as the deadline was concerned. Uh, I thought that was fascinating that uh, two-star players, a lot on the line, they decided to opt in. It seems like that's been much more of the case for the NFL as a whole. Uh, that's really what we have so far, I think, is where the Cardinals are at. We still have not had any positive COVID-19 tests. Uh, again, the COVID list doesn't mean that they tested positive. Uh, it does mean, however, that they came into contact with someone had known exposure. Um, or it also means that there's a very good possibility that, uh, like we saw with uh, star quarterback Matthew Stafford of the Detroit Lions, uh, he had a false positive test. His wife had a large Instagram post that was really interesting about how he tested with two negatives in the oncoming days. They had people who were like avoiding her at the store, giving death glares, uh, kind of abusing because it was a national news. Everyone knows, you know, who Matthew Stafford is. And because of the fact when you're a celebrity, a lot of people would see her at the stores, would know the news. And it was kind of stunning for them because they said that they felt like they were judged uh, improperly because of it. And it'll be interesting 
interesting to see John just how that will play out this year because as we keep mentioning on this podcast, it doesn't seem like it's a if as far as we're testing positive for COVID, but when considering the fact that the NFL is not really going with a bubble approach, they're not even kind of trying to go with a mini bubble approach. They're much more trying to leave a lot of responsibility and testing and kind of having the players be the ones who are here and keeping their facilities in order as much as they can to uh, avoid spread. And that comes in a day when six Miami Dolphins players were essentially placed on the uh, COVID list, which will be something to uh, to watch and to monitor if there's more players, if we're starting to see another Miami situation, or if it's merely just the fact that there's a lot of tests that are going on in Florida, a lot of players who are testing positive right now because it is a, a pretty rampant Yeah, area. and can I just say with regard to the opt-outs, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, this individual, and I can't believe I missed this news. I saw it yesterday, and it came out on August 1st. C.J. Mosley, the Jets, all-pro linebacker or Pro Bowl all-pro linebacker opted out. Uh, that is, that is insane to me. Uh, so he, the Cardinals were absolutely in on CJ Mosley pivoted to Jordan Hicks when the money got ridiculous. Um, Hicks has worked out, you know, fabulously last year was super under the radar. Mosley missed, I think like half the season was hurt. That Jets team is a disaster. Listen, if he wants to opt out for, for the better sake of his family, you know, more power to him. I'm not here to judge his decision. I'm talking from a Jets standpoint, like that team when you talk about trading Jamal Adams, they've lost Robbie Anderson now. I think they brought in Perryman from, from Tampa. They they didn't do anything to help Sam Bradford in the first round of the draft in terms of adding a weapon. They, they took the big tackle from Louisville that neither one of us loved. Um, I think the more and more I look at that team, I know this is a Jets podcast, but just as a Cardinal fan looking from afar, I think there's a good possibility Sam Darnold could be like the sacrificial lamb for that team, especially if they get a top pick. But Mosley, to me... That that that's as big as any any other that I've seen so far. He's a better player right now than Hightower is, and he he was supposed to lead that defense, and and he's not playing this year. So Cardinals are absolutely going to benefit from that when they when they face the New York Jets. There's been no division that's been really hit harder with the opt outs than than the AFC East, and coincidentally, the Cardinals get to play the AFC East this year. So um, generally, we're like sitting here, and the Cardinals. Are, are late into training camp and they've lost players due to injury or retirement or whatever. And knock on wood, I don't want to jinx it, Blake, but we're in a position now where it feels like they're they're really kind of playing with, with house money. They've got a really young, energetic roster. A lot of guys that are, think about all the guys that are looking to, to prove themselves this year. Um, Patrick Peterson consistently tweeting out photos. It's the re- revenge season. He's 30 years old on a one-year contract. Buda Baker's playing for uh, his big first contract extension. Hopkins is playing for a raise. Kyler Murray is playing for national respect. He's got a huge chip on his shoulder. It's like a ton of guys all over this roster. Chandler Jones is always super self-motivated. Devondre Campbell tweeted out the other day that he was super overlooked and he's just going to prove himself this season. Jordan Hicks was disrespected by Madden with like a grade of like 72 in comparison to his stats. Bobby Wagner was like a 98. They had the same stats last year. I'm not saying they're the same caliber player, but the, the gap shouldn't be 27 points, 26 points, whatever it is. This team all over the place has guys that are ready to get after it this year. That's probably the best thing that I can hope for. And you mentioned it, Blake. The only thing that, it, that could derail it right now is if there's just an influx of, of positive tests throughout this roster. I think that, you know, knock on wood, we feel like with the little information we have, most everybody would be would be okay if they got it, assuming they have no underlying health conditions, but we don't really know. And that's why you have to take all the precautions. 
but I mean, okay, in the sense that, you know, they might get sick, but hopefully nothing long-term. So, you know, like what we see in Miami, Arizona has been a hot spot for COVID-19. And so I think it just speaks to after Michael Bidwell got sick and had that like legitimate scare where he was hospitalized, I'm not sure how close he came, but you know, you hear about players like, I think it was, if you guys follow baseball, Freddie Freeman of the Atlanta Braves, who's, I'm 32 years old, Freddie's 30. And he, he was praying to God that he, he told himself, I, I hope, you know, please don't let me, it's not my time to go. Please don't let me go from this. And you think about that, it, it's just like, it's really sobering to hear. And I, we're not going to get, I don't think COVID's political, but we're not going to get political on this podcast. But I just think that kudos to Michael Bidwell for, for taking the necessary steps it looks like to have the facility just first class working order. Everybody's getting tested. Everybody feels comfortable by all accounts. Nobody's come back with a positive test. Cardinals first two picks these past two years, Isaiah Simmons, Kyler Murray, both have the same personality in the sense that they're homebodies and they're addicted to football. And I do think that's contagious because what it does is it puts an ownership on the rest of the roster. Like guys, we need to stay focused. We need to get it together. Look around the league with some of the teams that have an influx of, of positive cases. Maybe there's not I mean, there's not a ton of leadership there like you have with, with somebody like Kyler Maria. Miami's a team with a lot of young players, and two is not in the building yet. They haven't had a chance to really establish a culture. Uh, I know that I, I really like their head coach, but I just, you know, Detroit's kind of all over the place with their team, and it's just like the Cardinals for once seem like that team, Blake. Knock on wood. We could turn around tomorrow. They could have 10 positive cases. But to, to come out of this without one positive case, with everything going on in Arizona, I think speaks to Michael Bidwell's credit, Kime and, and Kingsbury, and then certainly Kyler Murray. It wasn't too long ago, Kyler Murray was jet-setting the entire offense on his dime to Dallas to work out, and everybody came back healthy and happy. So we're, we're, in, a, we're in a special position to watch a young man mature and get better on and off the field and really take this franchise over. I mean, you, you see everything that we see from Kyler in the media, behind the scenes, with teammates, He's taking ownership of this franchise. This is not Kingsbury's franchise. It's, my, it's going to be one day in the near future, Michael Bidwell's franchise along with Kyler Murray. That's, that's what I, I honestly feel like based on everything that I've seen from him. You just you can't, you can't not love what you see from Kyler Murray. Yeah, just looking at least at a lot of the aspects. I know one of the things I, I made a joke on, I think, was uh, they were having a, a couple outdoor workouts. and outdoor workouts. Everyone's distance, at least going through. It's pretty hot in Arizona. Um, but it was funny because uh, most of the players, at least, were choosing to go without a mask in the outdoors area, at least, which it's like, okay, well, as long as a lot of the other protocols are set, you kind of have to you just see where it goes and hope that the other protocols stay in place. But Kyler was still wearing one for with the, uh, with the cameras and the other aspects. And it was funny because it made me think back to uh, this is a guy who puts his own self-preservation ahead of a lot of aspects, but never to the point um, of checking the ball down or not getting hit or not willing to take a hit. It's more of recognizing the fact of, hey, this isn't an aspect or avenue because I am scared. It's more of an aspect and avenue of, uh, I understand that my team is counting on me and I understand that at the size that I'm at, and uh, Chandler Jones revealed the other day, and we could kind of see from videos that, uh, Kyler bulked up a bit this offseason. Uh, he's hoping that he'll be able to uh, take on some of the rigors of the NFL. Now, every year you're going to hear stuff about certain player bulked up, certain player put on so many pounds. Some, this player who's like 170 is clocking at 190. Uh, it's always part of the hype that goes in each year. Uh, I think what it does put an emphasis on, though, ultimately, John, is Kyler understood that, hey, it's not that he's going to be able to have to outrun guys for 80-yard touchdowns like he did in college to focus on speed. It is going to be an aspect of being able to focus on being 
being able to uh, shrug some guys off. Uh, I think one of the things I remember was seeing the difference from Russell Wilson's first year to his second year. You can see at least he was a lot more of a compact, filled out his build in a lot of ways. Uh, we get to see that with Murray. Uh, the aspect that you talked about as far as with Bidwell and leadership, I think, is one of the cases that we've seen. And it does reflect, it, uh, again, back on the GM Steve Keim. Uh, in that aspect, and it also reflects on head coach Cliff Kingsbury, who is in an interesting spot, I think, as a coach, because he's got a lot of people who are looking at him still, ultimately, I think, as he's earned some respect for those who went back and watched the film. But you've also seen the aspect of a lot of people are still like, okay, he's won you know, five games last year, had a tie. He's, let's see if he can at least earn some of those wins, earn some of that respect. Uh, the fact that the draft, at least, where he had that house, and he revealed at least, uh, which I wasn't really a surprise to anyone, but he did talk that the photo was a bit staged where he's like, yeah, the fireplace in the backyard is a bit much. Went on to joke a bit about how he would have probably added like a DJ or like, you know, a pool swan or something like that, which I don't know if that was kind of a shot or a kind of a throw out to a uh, the infamous pool pool swat incident with Johnny Manziel, who Kingsbury coached once upon a time, feels like forever ago. Um, it does at least seem like that there is going to be that aspect of until guys are able to kind of just prove it by winning at the NFL, there is going to be a lot of that doubt. It doesn't matter how much they turn the offense around from where it was the year before. Um, it doesn't doubt. It doesn't mean how much kind of hype that the new Cardinals offense has going into the season. It does come down to essentially John being able to follow through with the discipline, do what you have to do, um, knowing that there's going to have to be enough players who can step up behind the Cardinals. And ultimately, a lot of stuff I think is going to fall on Kingsbury this year to um, see how the decisions that are made, the plays that are called. There's a lot of last year is kind of I think given as a learning curve for him to be able to adjust to expectations for him now I would argue at least are just as high as Kyler Murray because if he isn't taking you know a bizarre timeout like he did at the half of the San Francisco game um, if you end up seeing kind of continual issues with the defense and very uh, few issues that seem to carry over and people are start saying all right this is this a Vance thing is this just kind of Cliff's defenses for how it's going to work out there's going to be a lot of questions that people have coming in for Cliff Kingsbury I think so far at least through this process he's kind of done about everything you can ask for as a Cardinals fan the next step is going to be him being able to deliver on a lot of those aspects and being able to be more than just kind of this hot up-and-coming edgy uh, coordinator you're hoping that he can take that step forward like we've seen from a Sean McVay from a Kyle Shanahan yeah absolutely Cliff is the the you know if Kyler's the drink then Cliff is the straw that stirs the drink I think that his ability to pick up you know what were holes in his play calling last year I think that that was a very come to Jesus moment, you know, pardon my, my religious uh, phrase there, but just being able to take ownership of his mistakes, where he can improve, where he can get better. Um, I think that, you know, really he made a decision, you know, mid season to say, Hey, we need to lean on the run game. We're not doing a good enough job up front. We've got some liabilities in the receiving game and the pass protection. Let's, let's adjust how we do things. Um, but at the end of the day, it comes down to how he stacks up against the big boy head coaches in the NFL. You know, I hate to use the term, you know, honeymoon's over because certainly the Cardinals are still very much in a, I don't want to say a rebuild, but they had the first overall pick in spring of 2019. And now a year later, roughly 14 months later, people are saying, well, it's playoffs or bust. And I understand the expectation that comes with Hopkins and Murray and Isaiah Simmons and they've added a playoff team in the NFC but I, I really do feel like Kingsbury is probably going to not receive the benefit of the doubt moving forward last year he took over a gutted roster with horrific offensive personnel and they were competitive in damn near every game outside of 
mainly the Saints game, even though that game was close at halftime, I would I would commend Kingsbury for that. But at the same time, I do not think this season, especially Blake, when there are so many in the league, around the league, media, scouts, whomever, that feel like he did not put in his time, that he was gifted the position based on either his relationship with Kyler, the fact that he's a young, good-looking white male, that he's an offensive coach, he can't coach defense, he had a losing record at Texas Tech. Um, putting all that aside, I just think that there are a lot of people who continue to want to see him fail. We saw you know, Rex Ryan with, with pretty outlandish comments last offseason, and I think Cliff proved a lot of people wrong in the sense that like, he could be a high-end offensive coordinator tomorrow. I think both of, us, both of us feel that way, and both of us like his projection as a, as a head coach long-term. But I think it is fair to say you know, he's got some lofty expectations this year. And you, know, you could be thinking to yourself, well, somebody like Kyle Shanahan was dreadful for two years, was picking in the top 10 for two straight years, and then finally, you know, this past season, it all came together. Why doesn't Cliff get that, that same kind of leeway and I think the difference is Kyle Shanahan was a longtime coordinator who put in his time. Yes, his dad was a, a big-time NFL coach, and so he was kind of gifted a, a side path to success. But, you know, make no mistake, Kyle Shanahan's a big-time play caller for the Redskins, for the Browns, for the Falcons when, when Matt Ryan won his MVP. Um, and they, they, they told Kyle, you've got all the time you need. And I, I do believe internally with the Cardinals and Michael and, and um, Steve Kime that they believe Kyler, and Kyler, of course, but they believe in Cliff long-term. But I think the outside perspective is still unproven. And I think that with the abundance of pressure that's put on this team, even with COVID and the pandemic going on, I think most people feel like with this team now, you better at least have them at 500. They better be at 500. They better be a hell of a watch every week. They better be competitive. And then next year, you're talking about reloading in the draft and free agency, and you're, you're making a, probably making a legitimate deep playoff run. But if they screw around for whatever reason, and they don't look like they have it together defensively or on special teams or the offense just isn't clicking like we want, and they start slow, the noise is going to grow that, well, they've got Kyler Murray, they've got DeAndre Hopkins, and we like Kenyon Drake, and Kirk's a nice complimentary piece, and the offensive line's not terrible, and they drafted Isaiah. Said, What's not working? And it'll all come back to him. So, you know, I'm I'm bullish on Cliff. I love the hire when it happened. I think he exceeded expectations last year. But I also think that, you know, it's a what have you done for me lately league. It's a prove it now league. And I think that he needs to go out and put together a product that's at least eight and eight, Blake. Yeah, John, I would agree. The 8-8 eight and eight, as far as the standard, a lot of people are looking at a tough NFC West and picking that. I think that you would love to see the Cardinals finish with a winning record if possible because it will show at least that they're ready to make the leap. Um, you also show the fact that, as we saw them last year, the Cardinals struggled to close out and win in close games. If they got up early in the first half, the defense would let them down in the second half, or the defense would put their offense in a hole where we saw either Kyler have to pull off some heroics that they had, whether it was uh, some late touchdowns to get the Cardinals close, or the Lions come back, essentially kind of need almost a seemingly miraculous comeback in that regard. 
Uh, I think that's going to be the key for Arizona this year as far as expectations go. And if they can overachieve from that, I think that that will not disappoint anyone, especially not Cards fans. Uh, let's go. we got two topics left here on this episode. The first one is going to be just some of the signings that the Cardinals had on their team. Then we'll talk a little bit about uh, just some of the draft stuff that we're seeing amidst everything else in COVID. Uh, Cardinals added three players to their roster. Again, they released 10 the last podcast that we had to get down to the 90-man roster. Uh, they added another wide receiver. So you're not only talking about adding Dylan Cantrell, another guy, I believe, Jojo Ward, um, to the Cardinals' three draft picks last year. You're also talking about adding a veteran wide receiver, Andre Patton, uh, comes over from the Chargers, uh, 6'2", 200, uh, mostly a practice squad player who saw some time late last season at least. He had uh, six catches, 56 yards. You're looking at this guy, obviously, as a camp body. The more interesting one is going to be um, they signed a offensive tackle, Coda Martin, to replace Marcus Gilbert on the roster. Obzwar um, would seem to favor the Cardinals, probably are set at tackle. You'll be looking again, obviously, at practice squad guys, however, given uh, the fact that you may have to call one of those guys up on a moment's notice with COVID being a possibility. Uh, Kendall Bryce, who's a safety uh, he's the one that was most interesting to me. Uh, 5'11", 200, uh, played with the Packers. Uh, he is a 36-game player, uh, not starter, mind you. Uh, he was signed by the Bucks last year but released, and so there's two things I think that are interesting with this. The first is it's hard to have any expectations. The Bucks secondary was atrocious last year. But you're also then looking at the Cardinals having Jalen Thompson as a second-year player, uh, Buda Baker coming off of his first Pro Bowl appearance. Chris Banjo is someone who, when he got his playing time late in the season last year, he was tremendous. Like He was one of the Cardinals' uh, consistently highest-graded players. You got to see him being especially a standout on special teams. Um, the fact that they have Deontay Thompson, the fifth-round draft pick, who uh, was got a lot of hype. Some people wondered if he could be a starter. I, it makes me wonder, at least, if they're having to add some additional safety depth. Uh, we talked a bit, I think, John, about how if the Cardinals did see any opt-outs or issues that they had, uh, seeing if they would bring back Tony Jefferson, the former longtime Cardinal, who's still out there on the market. Uh, he's coming off an injury. I think at this point it seems that they're more going to be probably looking for uh, more of a deep safety look versus a guy who plays in the box uh, just because of the fact that you've got a very versatile piece in Buda Baker. You've got uh, a guy who at least seems to be uh, playing with the mentality of a linebacker like Chris Banjo. And, of course, you've got Isaiah Simmons, the do-it-all defensive rookie, who at some point, John, you have to figure is going to see some snaps this year just due to that versatility. What do you think about the signing of the safety especially? Does this mean that there could be a danger as far as Thompson for the roster, or is there going to be more of just kind of a typical signing you have? Because I, I think overall the biggest question that Cardinals fans are going to have is, are you going to see enough gains that the Cardinals make with hitting on these mid to late round draft picks to be able to field in cheap competitive depth to be able to compete so you're not having to you know go out and trade for DeAndre Hopkins in the first place? Yeah, you and I were tipped off uh, by a buddy of ours uh, yesterday or two days ago that watch out for Deontay Thompson and and him being on the bubble for this football team. Certainly nothing is set in stone. I want him to succeed, but uh, there's always been questions around his makeup speed in the NFL. He's a hard hitter at Alabama, but the NFL, you got to be able to do more than just support the run. And the Cardinals already have a couple safeties that already do that really well. Um, they they do not currently have on this roster, um, and I'm not including Isaiah Simmons because he's very much a unicorn. They don't have that that free safety center fielder. They just don't. Buda Baker's not that player. Um, I love Jalen Thompson. I think he's much more of a refined safety than Deontay um, in just being able to do everything. Um, and I think he's going to have a really nice second year. 
Um, but he's not that player either. And then Chris Banjo, like you mentioned, I think he's a really nice special teamer, but he's not somebody you want playing consistent minutes on Sunday defensively. Uh, and there was a reason they were kind of sniffing around safeties, both in the draft and free agency. So they bring in Kentrell Bryce. He's only 25 years old. Um, it's going to be 26 here in a couple days. I think he's probably going to have to compete to make the roster from a special team standpoint. But at the same time, I'm excited to see you know, what experience he does bring because he, he has played legitimate minutes for the Packers in the past. Um, he appeared in, I think, 36 games with them, um, dating back to 2016. He's had a, he's had a career interception. He's got some passes defensed. Uh, like you mentioned, was with Tampa um, and then with Chicago and then released this past summer. Uh, and the Cardinals quickly scooped him up. So watch out for the availability of some of these, these younger players. I think Jalen is where Kaim has probably shown his best ability to evaluate talent in the, in the later rounds. Deontay, that value was there, and he fell in, inexplicably, and now it's probably obvious why he fell, just maybe doesn't have that makeup speed. You remember when, when Kingsbury called him to announce, you know, hey, we're picking you, we don't know why you're here, but we're excited that you're here. Well, maybe the rest of the league thought that the, his skills at Bama maybe wouldn't translate all that well. And it just doesn't speak well for that draft from two years ago on day three when you talk about the lack of impact from everybody really outside of Kyler and to a lesser extent Byron Murphy. Isabella hasn't done anything. We're, we're still waiting on, you know, Hakeem Butler to show up. Uh, the defensive tackle, whose name escapes me, was injured last year. Deontay Thompson, it's kind of his status is a little iffy. Keenan um, Johnson um, is probably the best, you know, third best, sec, maybe second best player that they took in that draft. So um, that's a conversation for another day. But I, I still think, Blake, they're going to be on the lookout for a veteran safety. I don't have that on the record, but I, I just think that Kime has always made a savvy defensive back move late in the, late in the offseason, and I don't think this is it. Because um, I think Bryce is going to be fighting for a roster spot, but watch out for uh, a veteran or two. We we have not heard anything with regard to um, the former Oklahoma safety that was released by Baltimore. That I can't. I, he's rehabbing from an ACL. I can't remember his name. What what is his name, Blake? Tony Jefferson. Tony Je Tony Tony Jefferson. Um, Tony Jefferson is. Uh, under the radar, rehabbing, I have not heard of him being affiliated with the Cardinals. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, let's go ahead and get down to our last topic of today. Um, we're talking about college football. The NFL draft, is, after being pulled off mostly virtual last year, uh, it seems like the big question that's popping up is how long college football will be, how it will look. There's a lot less to figure out because uh, as far as for what the NFL has to essentially keep moving due to the fact that they've got, uh, you know, seasons at stake, cap space, a lot of aspects in college football. Uh, there's uh, an infinite amount of things that could potentially go wrong, and you've got players who are playing on scholarship versus paychecks. Uh, you have seen a lot of conferences kind of clamp down. What that's also turned into, John, is you've seen a lot of the star players opt out, and it's fascinating because uh, just a few years ago we were looking at Christian McCaffrey didn't play in a bowl game. You looked at Leonard Fournette didn't play in a bowl game. And a lot of people were kind of just like, you know, you're letting your teammates down. you got to be able to show up and be able to play. Like There was a whole lot of backlash that they got. Both of them ended up being top ten picks. You take a look at uh, Jalen Smith, 
who was a draft pick of the Dallas Cowboys, goes out. I believe he did have a really bad knee injury. I think there was ACL, uh, LCL as well, if I remember correctly. Uh, I'd have to double-check on that. Really bad knee injury fell to the second round. Um, he hasn't turned into an NFL superstar at all. He's been a quality player, but he missed out on what probably would have been top 10 hype. And that, to me, I think was interesting, John, because you're seeing guys like the pass rusher Gregory Rousseau out of Miami has opted out, and a player that you liked a lot, Micah Parsons, has opted out. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if other pro players will have, especially in a year where we are, have a lot to be still determined on what will go on with the draft. Is it going to have a complete 16-game season? Are you going to see you know, things change? Are there going to be games canceled like we see in the MLB? All this stuff is going to really end up having a big shakeup, and it's going to especially pan out interesting when it comes to with how players will go who opt out of college have essentially one year of tape what are some of the other things that you think either we could expect or could see from aspects is we've got some schools in college football have opted out entirely and it's it's kind of just a whole lot of trying to figure out what's happening on a much much wider scale than the national football league yeah it's going to be really interesting blake i'm in the backyard here of the, the university of oregon and they've got maybe the best overall player outside of Trevor Lawrence in the draft, coming out this year. P.N.A. Sowell, I can never pronounce his name. The offensive tackle that is supposedly a transcendent talent. Uh, I've watched a, a decent amount of him, and he is, yeah, he lives up to the billing, 6'6", 330. Uh, and he's super young, too. I think he was born in, like, October of 20, 2000. So he's just now going to turn 20 years old. He's been starting, I think, as a true freshman. Um, and... I wouldn't be surprised. Would it would it would it surprise anybody if he's like, I'm gonna make a business decision and not play this year? Um, now I haven't heard anything like that, but I, I think Blake, we'll see if the season starts and things aren't going well, I think we'll see more and more players say, Hey, look, I gave it a try. I don't feel safe, I don't feel comfortable. This is not what I signed up for. Clearly things are being watered down, and then at least they're able to say that and then opt out. Unlike the NFL with their guarantees, um, you aren't going to see that with college football. They're trying to find guarantees in terms of their their scholarships promised if something were to happen, but there's no money on the line. And that's why I'm just so skeptical that we can have a traditional season or even a season in general. Listen, I'm not somebody who roots for cancellations or shutdowns. I, I think the NFL is going to happen this year. I think it's going to flourish. I'm excited to watch pro football, college football. When these guys aren't making any kind of money and you're going to ask them to, to, to risk their safety. I think that, and not everybody feels that way, but I think there, there's going to be enough players that are just going to say, you know what, I'm going to go and get ready to make my guaranteed money next, you know, February at the combine. I'm going to show up. I'm going to dominate. I've got really good tape 2019. I, I, I'm going to be able to have this in my back pocket that, that this is not real football. This wasn't safe. Um, and I'm not saying that, that everybody's going to do this, but I, I just think that there's going to be a likelihood that that happens with a lot of players. We're already seeing basically the Pac-12 and the Big Ten have unionized to the point where they're telling the, the conferences, like, you better guarantee your scholarships or we're not playing. Um, and, you know, who knows what the SEC does? Blake, you already mentioned there's a lot of the uh, – the Ivy League uh, football conferences are playing this year. I know you word yet from the ACC. Um, it, it will be interesting, though, with no conference games, how that affects if they do get to a playoff this year and are able to have a season. Probably means you're going to get a 
a Pac-12 school, a Big Ten school, an ACC school, and an SEC school. I think you're going to get one from all four major conferences or a Big 12 school. But really, those out-of-conference games really dictate a lot into the season, uh, whether or not you have one or two losses. And now you're really going to have to judge it more with like the eye test. Um, and I think that really hurts the SEC because they always you know, hang their hat on, well, we didn't win because Bama's a dynasty, but we did go undefeated and beat, you know, USC or Oregon in our opener, kind of like Auburn did last year. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with that, assuming we have a season. Um, if I had to bet right now, I would say that they try to play, um, but then things get dicey, man. We're, we're asking grown adults who make guaranteed money in pro sports not to be tempted by, you know, outsider, you know, temptations, and they're having trouble, specifically in Major League Baseball and a little bit in the NBA. We're going to ask college students that aren't making any any money, and I know scholarships, yes, you get money for, but they, they don't have guaranteed contracts to not be tempted to go out and party and do things with their friends and socialize. And, you know, I, I just think that's asking a lot, um, and I'm not surprised why they're asking for guaranteed scholarships, assurance if they opt out that they're still going to be able to be welcome back at the university. But, boy, it's, it's, the, it's the perfect storm of, of uncharted waters with these young men and women in other sports. And so I, I am, I'm skeptical, but, but hopeful, Blake, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, it, it is a, ca- a spot where I just want to make sure that everything obviously is safe for a lot of the players. And again, college football, you only see probably about 1% of the players who uh, end up being at least uh, high draft picks. You have only probably about another small percentage of that that go on to have major NFL success. Uh, there is definitely a, a disparity that you at least see. The issue, of course, is making sure that the guys who do spend their time in college football and go on to either join the workforce, become coaches in their own right. Um, there's a lot of those guys. Um, uh, there's a lot of, uh, uh, I guess you could say at least, uh, insecurity and lack of uh, safety, and especially a safe feeling that people are having right now amidst everything going on with the pandemic. Uh, being able to have a lot of the decision makers for college football being able to demonstrate smart and safe decisions. And I think that we've seen it can be done. We've seen it in the NBA. Um, it took, obviously, some pretty extreme measures. We've at least seen uh, players react positively in the NFL so far to the fact that we've seen um, players who've tested positive, but as far as opt-outs go, we've had less than 100. Most of the players who opted out were ones that you could at least tell were going to be at that spot. I think that hopefully the testing protocols that players are going through is given a higher comfort level. Um, again, most of the stuff is being put on personal responsibility. We saw how in the Marlins that did not work out. Uh, it's going to be difficult to know if that's going to be the case with, you know, you got anywhere from uh, some young 21, 22-year-old NFL players is a very different case from an 18 to 19 year old college player again um we'll end up going to see uh, again we love at least being able to go through and see the draft if there isn't college football this season is going to obviously have major ramifications hopefully it won't mean as much for the cardinals because the hope is that they will be moved out of the <laughs> perpetual you know top 15 nfl draft picks fingers crossed and be able to move much more into being a consistent competitor uh, again they've got a small amount of time that kyler murray will be on a rookie contract you want to see him develop and blossom into the player uh, you, uh, that I believe Cliff, Kime, Bidwell, uh, the others in the Cardinals organization believe that he can be. And that'll wrap it up here for us on the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, we're uh, able to be brought to you on Google Play Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, of course, Spotify, uh, places like uh, you can search for us at least in TuneIn Radio. You can find us also, as always, on revengeofthebirds.com. Uh, John, where can the listeners find you and your content? Yeah, I am here, of course, 
Force on the ROTV Podcast. Excited to bring you content this football season, one way or the other. You can catch me on Twitter. I'm at Johnny Touchdown, and then, of course, written word on revengeofthebirds.com. Thank you.